beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. My name is Sean Ram, and as always, alongside with Joshua Black. Uh, Josh, it's a beautiful day. It is, but there's only one there's one thing that's missing from my life right now. Ice cream? No, not actually, yes, ice cream and one other thing. It's to be by the ocean. There's something about the ocean and water that I wish I lived by, but I, on, sadly, I don't. It's interesting. Yeah, I have heard you say that before, where you really, there's something about the ocean that draws you near it. Well, fret not, we have an individual who's very familiar with the ocean. His name is Sebastian Slovin, and he grew up in the beach community of La Jolla, California, and he spent much of his childhood in and around the ocean, which is amazing. Um, as a young adult, he had the opportunity to travel extensively and experienced many of the world's great surf spots as a professional bodyboarder. Sebastian holds a BA in environmental policy from San Diego State University and MA in leadership studies from the University of San Diego. He is the author of The Adventures of Inu and Ashes in the Ocean. Sebastian is also co-founder of Nature Unplugged, which focuses on cultivating healthy relationships with technology and reconnecting to nature. Sebastian, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Sean and Joshua. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm going to live through you in this, uh, in this podcast on being on the ocean all the time. What's the feeling like to be able to be so close to the ocean all the time? Yeah, good question. You know, I get, it's sort of difficult for me to describe because I have known nothing else, really. I grew up, Sean mentioned, I grew up in La Jolla, you know, right, right on the coast. And it's awesome. I would say just awesome. I think there's something about the ocean in particular. I think there's other aspects of nature that are like this. It's something about the ocean that is so, um, such an unknown quality to it. You know, it's just, especially the Pacific, it's just kind of wild and intense at times. And you know, obviously so vast and deep, there's like an, there's this sort of unknown quality that I really enjoy being around. And that, you know, that's, that's one aspect. And I think uh, from a sort of sports and just for fun and play point of view, just, I love like mixing it up, body surfing or bodyboarding or just different activities with the waves is, you know, my, my favorite thing to do. Yeah, I guess, uh, have you ever like not been by the ocean for like a period of time, like a couple months to sort of see what it feels like? Or is it, are you always, wherever you go, there's the ocean right there? <laughs> I have, I've never lived away from the ocean. I have spent time in play, landlocked spots, but not for a couple months, probably, you know, a few weeks tops. So I don't know what that's like. However, I, I have spent time in the mountains and other, you know, other places like forest mountains. It's a similar I feel like there's a similar sort of feeling there, this um, kind of deep wisdom of nature and uh, kind of just a wild, a wild quality that, that is there. And you all are, you all are up in, um, you're in Ontario, right? Do you, do you have lakes? What do you, what do y'all have over there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're in the peninsula right around Lake Ontario. So, you know, that's, that's our okay. major uh, body of water, but no, I get what you're feeling. I felt that when I went to visit British Columbia, Vancouver for the first time, and the Banff area because the mountains do that for me. Like they're just, it's a, there's a majesticness. There's a overwhelming kind of like, I'm just a speck when I almost see those mountains and, and enjoy the nature. So I would imagine the ocean and the ocean does that for me as well. That's a little bit different where I don't, I, don't, I just don't enjoy the ocean as much. There's a little bit of a fear with that, <laughs> but, um, but the ocean still is kind of like that. It's a, it's a majesticness. It's a, it's a, it's an awesomeness. Yeah. I think you put it very well, which is, you know, kind of puts you in your place a little bit where I think it's easy to get like, you know, I'm, and for me at least, 
you know, all these things going on in my life and, you know, it becomes just so me focused and then going to a place like the ocean or the mountains, it's like a pullback and, you know, realizing, humble realizing that there's a lot more going on here and I'm just one small piece of it. Mm. I like that. You're just like a drop in a pond, right? It's like you're almost meaningless in this big, big open sea, right? Like we're on land, like there's so many people that know you and there's all this sort of stuff in the, in the ocean. It's just a totally different feel. So Sean, I'm actually curious, what are you afraid of with the ocean? You know, well, you know, probably not learning how to swim plays a factor into that. <laughs> I can kind of get by now. I, I, figured I could survive if I needed to, but that's, that's an aspect. Um, it's just, it's also like a... You know, I think of the ocean, I think of like large creatures, large whales, you know, maybe maybe sharks a little bit. But and there's something that, you know, I don't live in that world. It's just an unknown for me. And it's like a different world. It's like a different planet to me almost like where and, and if I was I just if you have this little bit of a fear where, you know, if I'm stuck in the middle of it or if I'm drowning, it's just like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> there's a whale over there. <laughs> Have you ever had those fears yourself of like animals or large animals or have you met an animal while you're bodyboarding? I have. Yeah. No, I mean, I think those are really valid, valid fears. And I, I as you were saying that, John, I, I was thinking of uh, it's just a lot of, you know, those experiences myself and being even though I grew up in that environment or around it, I still get freaked out uh, on a pretty regular basis. Uh, there are, you know, great white sharks out off the coast where I live and they're they're out there. It's a pretty low probability of uh, getting, you know, attacked by one. It's like very unlikely. However, it's, it's one of those things that's just on your mind. I've had, a, I've, I've seen a few, I haven't seen, fortunately out here, I haven't seen any up close, but certainly had interactions with whales, sea lions, dolphins, you know, things that just pop up out of the water when you're not expecting it. Even if it's sort of like a friendly harbor seal can be kind of a shock. <laughs> yeah. And you know what, it, it seems like obviously you've learned that, getting immersed in that environment is probably the best way to deal with that fear. And, and that's something like down the road, like, you know, maybe, maybe I can take up mild surfing or, or maybe, you know, go on a boat cruise in the ocean and maybe that'll help me. But I mean, you're living that world. So like, you know, you're dealing with these type of fears and situations constantly before we move on. Can you explain to us what bodyboarding is? Cause I'm actually new to that. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's actually a great, a great question. And I want to just share, can I, can I share one quick story just about the, uh, the fear thing? And then I'll get into the bodyboarding thing. Do you mind? Please, please do. So I have, as I mentioned, you know, I have a fear of great white sharks. I think, you know, it's probably pretty common. Most people are freaked out by them. And um, a number of years ago, there was a shark attack in my, like at the beach that I grew up learning how to swim and bodyboard and all these things. A fatal one, it was really intense. And after that, I was, more, uh, you know, on, on edge. I thought of, I was thinking about it more than normal. And I had an opportunity. I was traveling a lot at the time. I had an opportunity to go to uh, South Africa. And I, when I was there, I was like, I'm going to go shark cage diving, you know, dive in a cage with great white sharks. And I had this idea that I would do this, kind of look at them face to face, and then kind of move on. And uh, <laughs> I did the opposite, basically. I was like, Seeing those, those, them, they're so intense and really beautiful and really scary. It just freaked me out even more, like how stealth <laughs> they are. And, <laughs> so anyway, it, um, it's something I think you learn to, you, you know, it's out there. You learn to uh, exist with it, knowing that it's possible. That's a pretty good story. Anyhow. That's actually really funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and don't uh, they so, when you oh, yeah. when you cage dive, don't they like put blood in the water like to to get them like coming over to you? Is that is that true or is that I'm just yeah. making that up? So you're not getting them on so like or peaceful behavior, like they're seeking something. <laughs> that's correct. Yeah, I think it may be different if I saw them just sort of like cruising around. Uh, but there, yeah, there's there's blood in the water, chum, large pieces of fish, and they're going they're going bonkers. So it's game it's game on. Attack mode. Came on with a, <laughs> you know, a prehistoric, um, just machine-like, beautiful creature. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't stand a chance, and it's it's awesome in that way. Anyhow, I'll I'll um, share a little bit about bodyboarding. So it's um, it's the same as boogie boarding. So you're familiar with boogie boarding, where you're kind of standing on the board with a paddle. Mm, a little bit. <laughs> A little bit different. There's there's a lot of different things going on in the ocean. So I'll break no. it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought I'd throw a guess out there at least. Yeah, that was bodyboarding is basically it's a shorter board than a, a surfboard typically, you know, like around 40, 42 inches. And it's made out of styrofoam, usually kind of a slick bottom. And you kind of ride on them. You can do all sorts of maneuvers. You, I, so when I would bodyboard, I'd also wear flippers, like fins on my feet for to propel me through the water. So, you know, if you go to, you know, a lot of beaches, you'll see typically kids and, you know, people that don't go to the beach a lot, boogie boarding, it's the same thing. You're just kind of riding waves on this little board with, with or without flippers. And a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, in certain areas of the world, it, people take it seriously and compete and, do, you know, ride, you know, pretty intense waves. And, and I just happen to get really into bodyboarding i also surf and do other stand-up paddle do other ocean activities but bodyboarding was just the thing that i resonated most with at a young age and and kept with it cool and what is it that's different that you like as opposed to the the alternative ways of riding waves great question i think one of the things is there's a lot of diversity so i, I could i could lay down if diversity is the right word but i can lay down on my belly and ride waves and and I can also do this thing. We're getting really technical now. Do this thing called drop knee, which is basically one knee on the board and one foot on the board. And that's what I specialized in. But you can basically do all these different maneuvers, you know, either laying down or you know drop knee, or you can even stand up on it fully, which is very difficult to do. But there's yeah a lot of uh, variability, variety in terms of what you can do on a bodyboard and the types of waves you can ride. So you can have fun on a a day when the waves are small and really mellow or have fun when the waves are, you know, intense and, and big and crazy. That's so interesting. I have a, this might be a stupid question. Since you go on your body, could you also go on your back and do it? Is that like a, a, a trick skill or something that people have uh, figured out? That's, that's <laughs> an awesome thought and idea. And I think like maybe it's happened before, but I don't think it's anything. It's something. It's something not on purpose. You, yeah, not on purpose. It would be like, <laughs> but I, I have actually messed around a few times, like on my back. It's just you would have no way of holding onto the board, so it's a usually a short-lived uh, thing. You just kind of slide off, but it's a cool hey, idea. An, I like that. Another another silly question. So this, yeah, I'm imagining because it's a little bit of foam, it would be a little lighter, maybe a little smaller. It is already a little smaller than a traditional surfboard. So do you do feel closer to the water? Do you feel like more in it? Yeah, that's totally, that's totally accurate. So closer to the water and, you know, body surfing would be, is the term used for riding waves with no board at all. 
which is just you, you know, usually have, you have fins on your feet to help you go faster, but it's just, you know, you and the wave. And so bodyboarding is sort of like a step up from that. You're still really connected to the wave and to the water, but it allows you to go faster, do more maneuvers with, with a little bit of foam. So body surfing, I'm very confused, and that someone actually invented this thing where they, you're, you're just on the water and you just, the wave just take. Is there like a special skill to ride a wave on your body? Like, is that, it's so weird. I can't imagine it. Yeah, I got to send you, I got to send you, well, I'll, send, I'll follow up with some photos or some short videos for you guys for the, and for the, for the, for the show notes. But yeah, it's, it's, um, you don't need any particular, you know, you don't need any equipment. You don't even need fins for your feet. You just sort of, it does take some practice and some skill in terms of uh, like getting into the wave and then riding the wave. You basically make your body into like a, you know, like a, like a plane, like, so stick your chest out or you become like, basically like a board yourself Thinking. and kind of glide <laughs> through the water. I'm just thinking about like the first person who decided to try this. <laughs> like, I don't need a board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wild. That's, Sean, I think you could do something like that. I don't think I, I don't, I'm too heavy. <laughs> I don't have the bone density, but I feel like I've, you know, like you keep talking to this stuff. I'm like, wow, it's a world I've never lived. You know, I've been so, I guess, captivated into basketball and then also like academics from most of my life. It's like, it's, it's something that, you know, I feel I've missed out and I look forward to one day being able to try some of these activities, just get a better idea. And you say like it gives you a different sense of self and a different sense of joy in your life by being close to water and waiting for a wave where it's like you're you're learning patience, I'm guessing, out there because you want a wave now, I'm guessing. Right. And but you have to wait. And so how long do you normally wait for a wave? Yeah, the, that's it's a really good, really good point. And I think it's something that's so beautiful about any of the, you know, ocean or, you know, surfing related sports is that there is you you kind of it forces you to cultivate this sort of, uh, you know, almost awareness or mindfulness of what the ocean's doing, uh, patience for, because, the, you know, waves aren't just coming nonstop. Some days they do, but, you know, typically you'll have a few waves in a row, a set of waves, and then there's a lull, and then a few waves, you know. So it, it's totally, how long you wait is totally dependent on the day, where you're at, the type of swell. So there's, there's a lot of factors, but, you know, typically it's, you know, a few, you know, it'd be like a few minutes, uh, oh. depending on how, and, and depending on how <laughs> aggressive you're getting, you're getting, you know, three to five, some days I'll go out and just want to, you know, I just want to kind of stay, stay on it. So I'll be actively moving around and catching wave after wave instead of typically you catch a wave, paddle back out, kind of sit out there or wait out there, catch another wave, do it again. So it, it's kind of what you, what, whatever you want to do. If that makes sense. That's very interesting. And yeah, like my, so I've never really been in the, in the ocean, but I love hearing it. So I went to Nova Scotia and just like the, the waves on a rock is just something I can't get enough of. Is the sound of water like something that's meaningful to you or is it just like being in the water? I love, I think you're, what you're describing is it like, I've never been to Nova Scotia, but I've heard it, you know, rugged coast, really beautiful. I know there's lots, there's really good waves there too, but you know, waves crashing up against the coast. Ross, I, I love that, uh, you know, the spray, the, the, and it kind of infuses the air with the sort of the salt and, and that, you know, the yeah. ocean smell and it's awesome. I love all the, all the aspects. The ocean. Is there any aspect yeah. you don't like of the ocean? Well, I think the stuff we touched on earlier, you know, I think, <laughs> I think, I don't want to say I could do without a giant great white sharks um, that want to eat me, but 
you know, <laughs> they're not my favorite, but I think there's, they're a necessary part of the, what makes it so unique and, and awesome. Aside from that, not really. You know, where I live, Southern California, it does get pretty crowded. So that's not the, that's not the ocean's fault, but there's a lot of people. And so, you know, nowadays compared to, compared to when I was growing up, nowadays there's a lot more people out in the water riding waves. So more competition for waves and things like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's special what you, the life that you're living and even just talking about the ocean, we're so excited about it because, you know, we don't get the opportunity to emerge ourselves and that level of nature all the time. You know, you're almost like you, almost, you, you pretty much have to give up control in a lot of ways because, you know, you're, you're at that mercy of the ocean and everything that's affected by it. Um, and, and like people like me, you know, we just don't get those experiences. Like for me, you know, the comparable is, is like, you know, getting into like traffic and that's what I do. Like, well, I go into traffic and I get out and on this exit and then I get into a traffic again, but that's a stressful situation. That's not like anything like, you know, no. hearing the ocean and smelling sea salt. Yeah. I think you got to learn how to ride the traffic. I think that's the issue. Yeah. I think, I think that's what I'm getting at is you got to teach me these things where you, I could translate this into feeling that way about, you know, terrible traffic and cars. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, that's a great point to ride the, ride the traffic. You know, of course, you know, if I go into areas, even in, you know, nature that I'm not that experienced at or skilled at, like, you know, rock climbing or something like that, for example, I get, you know, when you're new at something, you just get kind of like tense and, it's, you know, like kind of like rigid. And, and um, I just was, I was thinking about that with, with riding, riding the waves. And I think that's the key is you learn, when you get tumbled in the ocean, one thing, one of the things you learn pretty early on is the, importance of just completely letting go and like kind of letting the wave do its thing otherwise you panic you resist it you run out of air it becomes like a dangerous situation pretty quickly so i think letting go relaxing all all wonderful lessons to from the ocean to be applied to things like traffic or you know other activities for sure i like that i'm wondering how because you're you know you, you notice all that stuff now was that something you noticed as a kid of letting go or is this something that like as you grew older you started learning lessons from the ocean. It's a, I think it was a little bit, it was certainly learning as I went. So um, some of these lessons took a few years to learn. You know, I think there was, when I was really young, I can remember going to this beach, you know, in the town where I grew up in La Jolla called Wind and Sea. And there was, the waves are pretty intense there. And there's like uh, what's called shore break, which is basically the waves will break very intensely and powerfully right on the shore or you know, very close to the shore. So you have, you know, even if you're just a few feet into the water, you have the potential to get just totally like wiped out by a giant wave. And I remember as a little kid, I would just be, I'd be freaked out by it. You know, I'd go out there. My dad would take me out there or, other, or family friends. And, and I think, I think having older people that you know, knew how to move and navigate those conditions were, was really helpful. But I remember being totally freaked out. And then you get a few a few beat downs, you know, you get tumbled around a few times. You're like, that's oh, actually not that bad. The, the fear of it is almost worse than the experience of it. And so you, over time you go, okay, I can, I can push myself a little more. I can, I can go on a bigger wave or get tumbled by a bigger wave and it becomes, uh, you, you know, learn to navigate it. I like that. And you mentioned your dad. So did your dad like teach you a lot of like the ocean? Was he a big, you know, uh, supporter of, you know, being in nature? Absolutely. He was. My dad, was from he was from south africa and from cape town and i don't know if y'all have ever been there but it's really you know the beautiful coastline really intense waves and 
and ocean dynamics. So he grew up in a pretty wild environment. It's just like rugged, very cold water, lots of sharks. Um, that was his, his home. And then he, he was actually a competitive swimmer. So growing up, you know, competitive swimmer in pools, ended up uh, getting a scholarship to come out and swim for Southern Methodist University in Dallas, a swimming scholarship, and then eventually moved to La Jolla. But when he was in La Jolla, it was a daily ritual routine to go and swim. There's a beautiful beach called the La Jolla Cove, which is was his favorite beach, and that's where I learned to swim. That's where a lot of my memories of him take place. And, and you know, he, he died. He took his own life when I was six years old. That's a lot of what... Uh, my book Ashes in the Ocean about is that experience and, and learning from that. But when my memories of him when he was alive were often around the around the beach and in the water. Wow. So I think it's a good time to jump in about the loss and and how he took his own life. Like what was that like for you as a child, say being six? Did you get like do you understand what happened at all? Did you you know, did you figure out why he did that? Uh, when it happened it was really out of the blue for me. It was a shock to to me and, and my family. I think my mom had more of an idea of what was going on. He was, he was struggling with a variety of things, depression, he had some, lost some money. So he had a variety of, of factors that are, were weighing on him. And I was, you know, as a five, six-year-old, I was oblivious to a lot of that. And so I remember hearing the news or, you know, vaguely remember hearing the news and it was shocking to me and I didn't fully understand didn't fully understand death, really. Didn't understand what, I certainly didn't understand suicide. And then it wasn't until I was older and started to learn more about it that I kind of became more and more curious. Like, why did this happen? You know, you know what happened to him? Why did this happen? Became very curious and fascinated about death. And I think I, I struggled, especially in my adolescence, my, my early teenage years, or for most of my teens, with having all these questions, but feeling like I couldn't talk about them because of some of the, the stigmas around suicide and mental health. I didn't feel, I never really talked about it. My, my, I think my survival mechanism from when I was very young was to just sort of bury this and move on and try and get by and, you know, not feel all, you know, all the painful things that were coming up. And how did that work for you? Bottling it up and as you continue to move forward. <laughs> It did. That's a great. Yes, it did not work very well. I was just. Um, it was. Yeah. It was. It. I think as you know, as you all know, it. It. Um, I think it worked for a time when I was very young to kind of just get me through a very tough time, and not be completely overwhelmed. But I, as I got older, it manifested in all sorts of different ways. You know, like outbursts of anger, getting in fights, just outbursts of, of like sadness for no reason. That, you know, stuff like I just couldn't control. You know, someone I'd be hanging out with friends, and I remember one time hanging out with friends. I was probably in middle school, and everything was going fine. Someone just mentioned their dad in conversation, and this is, you know, me and like seven or eight other friends of mine, and I just started to cry, and no one knew what was going on. I didn't tell any, none of them knew about my dad, and I felt like I couldn't talk about it. And just the the shame, as I think a young man, the shame around showing emotions like that was 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 tough. So I kind of continued to try and bottle it in as I got older, manifested in drinking and, you know, other, other things. And yeah, it was um, not, it was not good and didn't, it was not a lasting solution by any means. Do you think it was because the type of the death that you're more unwilling to open up? Because when you do, people ask, you know, how did he die? I think that was certainly part of it. 
you know, I had most of the time when people ask me, you know, if someone pressed me like, well, you know, where's your dad? What happened to him? I'd say, oh, he died in a car crash or something, something like that, an accident and would never or very rarely share the truth of it. And the times when I did, the responses I got didn't encourage me to talk about it, you know, and I'm not saying there weren't caring people in my life that, that wanted to talk about it, but there, you know, I remember I wrote about this in the book. I think I was 13 or so sharing, uh, going to a doctor's appointment and uh, sharing my health, my family, my health history with the doctor. It was a new doctor and talked about my mom. That was no problem. And she asked about my dad and I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm just going to tell her what really happened. And I said, Oh, my dad, you know, took his own life when I was, when I was little and every, her whole energy change, vibe change. And she got really serious and was like, you know, Sebastian, when you, this is something you really have to watch out for. You know, when you get older, you're now much more likely to you know, suffer from depression or, or be suicidal yourself. So this isn't, you know, you got to be on this and, and, and just, and kind of pressed me with some other stuff. And I just, it just freaked me out and didn't encourage me to talk about it more. So I think things like that, I think I developed this story, like I, I can't, it's not okay to talk about. So, you know, I had similar experiences with, you know, extended family gathering. You know, I just noticed that my dad's name came up, the subject would quickly be changed or when the word, if the word suicide came up, you know, it would quickly be changed, things like that. That makes sense. Yeah. That's an interesting thought because, you know, just we're, I'm around, I'm 34. Josh is around the same age. And uh, how old are you? If I can ask that. Yeah. I'm 34 too. Uh, yeah. Perfect. So <laughs> in a lot of our childhoods, you know, suicide, and I've had an uncle, you know, pass away from drugs and alcohol and uh, I had one uncle who, who just, he had a, a lot of mental health issues and he disappeared, but um, things were looked upon a lot different, a lot stigmatized um, when I was growing up in terms of suicide and death and, and those type of things. And now it's a lot different. Now I think we have a lot more support. It, it could still get better, but it, it's just a different way of looking at it. And I think that you face that in your life where Sometimes it probably would have been easier just to say my father passed away in a car crash rather than dealing with then what, you know, pro probably a negative reaction from a person or people just can shut down and just walk away and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree that it's, that it's a different world now. I think like, you know, this would have been the, my dad died in 1990. So um, yeah, early nineties, you know, or mid nineties, you know, different world in terms of awareness around the stigma and mental health and suicide. And and I agree that there, I think there's still a lot of work to be done in that in that sense of just creating the space or providing the space for people to talk about and not just like suicide stuff but you know just mental health stuff in general or just things that are difficult to talk about that we as a society typically don't want to face. And so, how did he die? Did he die in the ocean? Like, did he drown or what was the was it a car that or like you know I'm just curious like what was it that uh, that happened? Yeah, he so. A little bit of, you know, I won't go too into the background, but uh, as I mentioned, he had he'd lost some money and, and was sort of struggling. He, we were living in La Jolla and he moved. He wanted to start anew in Australia. He had some family in Australia, so we moved to Australia and kind of attempted to start over, but he wasn't really satisfied with it. We ended up coming back to the States. And then he, shortly after we came back to the States, he wanted to move to Australia again or bring us back to Australia. And my mom was just like, um, can't can't keep you know like bringing the kids all over the place. We need some stability. She was a teacher, had had a you know, had a um, stable job, 
And so she said, you know, you go off and, you know, if you, if you find a job that you you know, if you want to stay there for real, then we'll come after you. And he went, and I, I don't think he ever, you know, fully believed that we would come. And, and I think he had, he set up a few job interviews and if he didn't get a certain number, I think he had made a plan to, to end it. And he was staying with his cousin at the time in Perth. So it's in Western Australia. Uh, and then just one morning when they, his cousin was and his family was supposed to be out of the house uh, for a, a camping trip. He, um, uh, it was, uh, he used a car. So um, the is it carbon monoxide, it's carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, monoxide, maybe the, um, he basically taped a, a, a hose to the exhaust pipe. The hose went to a trash bag and put the trash bag over his head, died in their, in their um, living room. It was found by my dad's cousin um, later that day. Wow. It's just the image of that is just horrifying. And then for them to, to find the body, it's like these are images you can't get out, you know? Like, it's, it, wow. Um, I'm almost sorry I asked, you know, like, but it's the truth, you know, and I'm glad you shared it yeah. uh, here because, you know, you're right. Like, and because the reality is a lot of people take their lives in many different ways. Um, and he chose that way. Did yeah. he leave? A, did he um, leave a note or anything, or was it just he just did it, and you guys found out through the grapevine? He did leave a note. I'm trying to think of the exact words. It was it was like a couple lines. It was really simple. He was like, he said something. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sorry to spoil like to Tim, his cousin. I'm sorry to spoil your walk. That was like what they called the you know walk in the bush. They were going on a camping trip. I'm sorry to spoil your walk. Um, please tell my wife and kids that I love them so much, but the pain is too great. Or something like that. Uh, it's, you know, like you feel for the, you know, you really, I feel for him, like to be in yeah. so much pain that this is like the only option they see. Like it, it just, it's, it's so saddening and like, it, it's sad even more so that, you know, like that, you know, your father di- died that way and people shun it as if like it was a bad decision or bad thing. He was just in so much pain and he he didn't have the tools to help and our society didn't have the tools to help him at that time either. So, wow. Um, And so you said he he died in Australia. What's it like going back to Australia or going back to that spot? Does anything happen? Do you get triggered? Do you grieve? Like, did you avoid it for some time? Like, what was that like? Yeah, that's a great question. My, uh, so a, a lot of this information, I did not seek out for a long time. So I didn't know this for, I knew generally how he died, but not like, you know, the details. And I, I, I didn't um, go to Australia for a number of years when I was, so again, he died when I was six, when I was 17. So years later, I had the, op- I was doing a lot of bodyboarding. I had the opportunity to go and visit Australia and to go back to Perth in particular. And I was, I remember being excited for the opportunity to go and for the opportunity to do some bodyboarding uh, and to see some family friends and family that, you know, hadn't seen since I was a little kid. Uh, but I was totally freaked out or, and I was very freaked out by the going back to that, that city. And I, I had the sense that, you know, going there would just, conver- you know, talking to people that knew him, the conversation would come up. And up until this point, I really had avoided, done a very good job of avoiding talking about it. So when I, I had a, a pretty remarkable time, though, the first time going back there since he died, went to Perth, 
and I stayed in the same neighborhood that he died, but not in the same house. But I was staying with a one of his uh, very close family or one of our close family friends, a couple who my parents had known for a long time. And the guy's name was John David. My dad grew up with John David in South Africa. They had swam together and, and uh, competed against each other for a long time and remained really close. So I was staying with them. And I remember the first day I got there, uh, John David uh, asked me if I wanted to go on a walk. And I was like, I kind of had the sense like, oh, this is going to my dad, the topic of my dad's going to come up. And I was like, freaked. We go on this walk down by the this, this beautiful river in Perth and kind of get through some small talk. And then he brings up my dad and he was like, you know, uh, your dad meant, he just explains how much, you know, my dad meant to him and his family and how tough it was, how tough his death was to them and how he knew how tough it was on us. And I just kind of was like frozen or you know, listening, but not saying anything. And then this guy, John David, goes on to say that, uh, to share with me that his father, uh, John David's father, died by suicide when he was a kid and shares his experience of, you know, feeling like, like he couldn't talk about it, the stigma in, in the culture he grew up in. And, and I felt like this, in, it was incredible hearing his story and like the vulnerability and all that. And I felt like he knew what I had been through or was going through. And so I felt like this was a safe space to share my own, share about what I had been dealing with. And it was like the, fir the first time really that I fully opened up about it. And it was inc an incredible experience. It started out being very scary for me, but it turned out to be cathartic. And, and it set me off on a path to really uncover, like, what happened to my dad? Why did he die? And, and what could I learn from it? And so that was sort of the... Uh, set, it, set it off, or a major turning point for me in terms of stopping uh, running away. You know, thinking back to your childhood, I would imagine that you felt pretty alone, pretty uh, different than a lot of other children. Um, and then it seems like hearing this story, like, is that something that is, resonates true with you? And then you kind of meet John Davies, who says, hey, you know, my father also committed suicide. Like, that must have felt like, hey, okay, there's someone who's like me. I'm not, I'm normal. You hit it exactly right. And I sometimes, like, how do I describe the feeling? Uh, and it was complete isolation. I felt totally alone. And that's actually what I did physically a lot, just when I was young, growing up, is just kind of spend time alone in my room, spend time, you know, just, you know, alone elsewhere. A lot of isolation. And I felt like, yeah, I was completely unique in a terrible way like there was some and and because i kind of had it in my head that there was something wrong because my dad did this now i'm you know something genetically wrong with me that i'm gonna follow in his footsteps and the reality of it was probably that there was a number of people in my community that had a similar situation probably a number of kids in my community that had a similar situation but i didn't talk about it i never knew they didn't talk about it we never knew that and so yeah it was hugely healing for me to hear someone else who'd be like and this guy, John David, was someone who had been through it and come out the other side and was a successful adult. You know, had a family, you know, not that that's necessary, but, you know, was just a successful guy, great guy. And I was like, this is an, an example of someone who went through this and came out the other side. And it was hugely important for me to see and hear about. Wow. So it's been 17 years then since that moment. Uh, is, it, is it wild to look back and say, like, to see how far you've come? It is a bit wild, actually. Yeah, I, I, it's a trip. I think, you know, that mo that time when I was in Perth set me off on this journey to 
that was sort of like the very, very beginning of actually of sort of processing and dealing with it. And that set me off on a journey to uh, seek out people who knew my dad from various walks of life and, and have, if I could, meet with them and, and have a conversation with them about my dad and about, you know, what it was like for them to, to how was the loss for them, you know, all those kind, kinds of questions. And had, I had that conversation with my mom for the first time as a, you know, uh, probably when I was 19 or 20. And with each conversation, each time I stepped into it a little more, I, you know, at times scary and painful, cried a lot, got angry a lot. Uh, but it was, it was like, the, you know, crying the tears and, and getting out the sort of the stuff that I had been suppressing for so long. And, and it's why, yeah, it's just like wild looking back on how much uh, of change there, how much change there's been and how that kind of, how that kind of change can start from, you know, one person having a conversation, planting the seed for, I guess, hope and the possibility of another way. I like that. Like you said, it was hope. It gave you hope in that moment and things are changing. Did you, have you, did you see your professional career change in the sense of how you competed? Because I know when I was in basketball, um, before I, you know, I had, you know, issues in my family and stuff. And I used to always use it as a coping mechanism and I'd try to get hurt on purpose just because I, I liked mm. feeling the pain. But then once I grew up and I started dealing with my stuff, I didn't like that anymore. And did you see any changes in your sport um, once you started dealing with those emotional issues and the trauma? That's a really good question. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what, how that looked. I, I think one thing was, you know, I always wanted to be the best and I kind of grew up with this mentality of wanting to be the best. A lot of that was, some of that's probably natural, but you know, a lot of that was my dad's deal was he like needed to be the best. You know, he didn't see the point of doing something unless he wasn't the best. And um, I had actually, that manifested for me in competition in, you know, sometimes I do really well, but if I was, had an off day, I, I would you know, just lose it and, you know, break down, couldn't kind of deal with it. And when I started to, to sort of deal with my own stuff and learn some of these lessons from talking to the people about my dad and kind of seeing this clearly, like my you know, can I compete and put it, give my all, but still be okay if I'm not the best? And that was a major change for me or turning point in terms of, uh, of competing with, you know, still wanting to do well, but not having it be my, completely dictate my sense of self-worth. That makes sense. So I kind of was able to I think, bring, some, bring the competitive edge, but also, you know, step back a little bit and be, you know, be okay if I wasn't always the best, which I wasn't, you know, not, not close. No, it makes perfect sense. You know, it just sounds like you had to revisit those thoughts that you were kind of going through in regular life. And you kind of looked at those a little differently now, you know, maybe, you know, you had a little bit more, you investigated a little more, you know, I like this analogy of the ocean, because, you know, it's, it's unknown, and it's a little frightening, but just like you wanting to learn more about your father's death, you know, you take that chance, and you get out into the ocean. And, you know, you, look at the world through that and it helps you grow and, and kind of expand. And so it's just such a beautiful uh, concept to me. Yeah. Even the the steps, cause you said like when you first went into the water, there's steps you had to take before you're comfortable with like the big waves. And the same thing with your grief there, you had these small conversations where those are like the baby steps. And then now you talking about it on a radio or a podcast show to the world. And so it's just, it's amazing sort of like how the, the waves you ride in your own grief journey, you know, and like where that's bringing you. Yeah. And I hadn't really 
I hadn't thought about it like that, but that's a perfect, you know, analogy or metaphor. I always get those confused, but a perfect, uh, makes sense. A good connection. And like, so. you know, you look at the, I look at the age, you know, you're 17, you start to kind of really investigate this and, you know, you're coming to age as a man, you're developing your own ambitions, your own dreams, your own hopes and stuff. And maybe putting aside some of the stuff that you're driven by in the past, you know, maybe driven by your dad's ambitions and, and a lot of that, but, and there's a beauty in that because then, you know, you talk about self-worth and accepting yourself and also accepting your abilities and not getting too uh, bogged down by, you know, I got to win. Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. And that was a, that was a process in itself. I think, you know, I, I get into this in the book a, a bit where I, you know, had that experience, the conversation with John David when I was 17, go out and, and have these conversations. You know, I, I learned these things. And it's, I think my understanding initially was much more of a cognitive understanding of some of the, some of the themes and takeaways from my dad. And it was a little while later where um, when I found myself, I actually got a, had a bad injury, a hip injury from my bodyboarding that put me out of commission for several months. And um, I kind of thought I had it all figured out, had these lessons and uh, found myself when I was, when I no longer had uh, my physical ability. I was at the time, you know, I was a professional bodyboarder. I was a life uh, on the side. I was an ocean lifeguard here in San Diego. I taught yoga, kind of did all these different things, but they were all dependent on my physical ability. And when I was laid up, it was, um, it was, a, it was a time, it was a learning time for me to put, uh, put some of these themes and the cognitive knowledge to practice embodiment, I guess I would say. Yeah. It's interesting how, you know, life forces us into positions to help us grow, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's amazing yet, you know, it's amazing you had that accent to be able to have to sit with yourself. Of who are you without this, you know, without the sport, without being a lifeguard, like who are you? And you had to sit with that and make meaning from your life just with you, you know, like who you are and what you want to do. And, is in that time, is that when you decide you want to write the book? Like, is that when you sort of had that sort of, you know, I want to do something more? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's, that's when it, I actually was, was in a place I had had a, a surgery, hip surgery. There was a complication with it. And I was, I was about to go in for a second surgery and I was losing it. You know, I, I how could this happen? I need to be back. And, and, back bodyboarding all these things and I you know it was, it was just kind of spinning couldn't sleep this one night uh, before surgery and then all of a sudden I just sort of you know was forced to basically let go and kind of accept what was going on and then all of a sudden I had all these ideas for little stories some poems uh kind of creative writing stuff that sort of came to me and I stayed up the whole night writing and it was you know, some of it turned into the adventures of Inu more of a children's book about getting outside and, and the, the beauty of nature. And then a lot of it was also the very beginning of this book, uh, Ashes in the Ocean. So that was, that was it. Yeah. It forced me to accept and step back and then kind of like opened up all these different options. And I, prior to that, I had never, uh, I had written just enough to get by in school, basically never like wrote for fun or, you know, had any ambition of writing a book or anything like that. Did you get excited during that? Like, it's a different type of uh, adventure, if you will. Like, did you like see your skills and say, you know what, I can do this? Yeah, I got. It was. It reminds me of uh, 
you know, my, my, I think it's easy for me to get excited around the ocean, you know, when we were talking about in the beginning. And I remember when I first started to write, I was like, this is a, a whole new, you know, platform or medium for me to explore that I have never done. And there's so many options. I think I, you know, I felt like I had a message I wanted to share. And before that, it was my only way to, sh- to or not message, or I had some skills that the, and the only way I could get it out was through my physical ability, through like riding waves or yoga or, you know, lifeguarding. And then this opened up this, this whole nother world, which was, yeah, super exciting. And so hopefully you're getting some good feedback uh, on what you're doing. Um, people are really, you know, giving you that uh, encouragement. I know it can be difficult at times, especially as a writer, because it takes so long to write the book <laughs> and you're really on this journey by yourself. And, and so hopefully you're getting uh, and you're, you're proud of what you've done, but you're also getting uh, people who are encouraging you uh, from what you've done and hopefully it's helping them. I haven't personally read the book, but actually I do want to read it now after talking to you. <laughs> there's just so many questions and you're just like a pretty cool guy that has, you know, you don't have all the answers, but you had a, having a really deep experience that you learned from. And I think that's an amazing story that I think everyone can learn from. So when you look at your book as a whole now, what message do you hope people can get from it after they read it? Awesome question. I, I think to use, you know, to go back to the story that, we, that I shared with you all about John David, you know, my hope is that I can do for other people what John David did for me, which was, you know, share the story, uh, which is you know, painful and intense at times, but share the story that um, hopefully you know, other people in similar situations, whether that's you know, they lost a loved one or family member to suicide and they feel like they can't talk about it, or it's another sort of loss or trauma that they feel like they can't talk about. And that this, this is a piece or, or kind of plants the seeds to create other conversations or further other, other conversations and, and to set people off on, on their, their own journey. So it's, that, would, that would be kind of my, my number one thing. Absolutely. As an athlete, as a high-level athlete in, in a particular sport, that message is even more, you know, that much more important in today's society. Uh, just thinking about basketball and, you know, our local Toronto Raptors and DeMar DeRozan, who kind of is pushing the envelope now with um, mental health and depression. And mm. it's interesting because, you know, the, the media and the outlets are like, oh, you know, this is great. This one. And, and in my head, I'm like, how come this didn't come out sooner? Mm. I don't know. I'm not an athlete. Who knows why? You know, obviously athletes are, you know, dedicated to their sport. They're focused on one thing. But I think when, when I get to hear that from DeMar DeRozan or, or someone like you, Sebastian, that, hey, this is an athlete who's gone through this type of uh, loss in their life, gone through this grief, I think that's very valuable to people, not just athletes, but also young people, people who are into outdoor stuff, you know, people who might not even pick up a book on grief will pick up your book because maybe they want to hear more about bodyboarding and then they're going to get your story as well. So it's such a valuable thing. I appreciate that very much. And yeah, I think there is, it's so awesome seeing so many different, you know, different people from different backgrounds kind of stepping out and talking about this stuff, whether it's just, and, and breaking down the stigma around, you know, mental health and, and suicide, whether it's mental health, suicide, or, you know, any aspect of that. It's, It's, it's really, really, I think, critical work, and um, I'm, I feel grateful to be a part of the, a part of the, uh, the process. And so we have uh, Father's Day coming up soon. Is there anything special you do on Father's Day, or will you do anything special this Father's Day in remembrance of your father? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a great question. Actually, not really. Father's Day was something that just sort of faded 
yeah, faded into the background. I, di- I didn't really, I think when I was young, it was a, a, more of a painful time, kind of similar, something I wanted to avoid. Um, I don't have any tradition on Father's Day. You know, I do, for my dad's birthday, kind of, you know, light a candle, do something like that. And I think my my ongoing tradition and sort of uh, thing around around my dad is, you know, going back to the the book, uh, the title, Ashes in the Ocean, is, you know, my dad, when he died, he was cremated. He was, his ashes were spread in the ocean. And, and for me, going down and just mixing it up or just dipping my feet in the water uh, is, is my time to connect with him and visit with him. And so that's, that's like sort of my ongoing ritual. Oh, that's very beautiful. It's like your own con- continuing bond because of, you know, I see he, he had a swim, he tied by the ocean. So every time you're in there, it's almost like your own memorial. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so yeah. have you, i ask you, how, have you ever had a dream of him uh, at all since his death? I have. You know, I, re- I remember having, I've had a number of dreams about him. I'm trying to think. Some of them are just like, you know, little flashes of him and, you know, not, usually not full on conversations. There's not dialogue. I had a dream when I was young that I remember quite vividly of you know, being in the, at the La Jolla Cove, again, this is the place I learned how to swim and a lot of my memories of him, of him are there. And, you know, we'd go out into the water and one of the things I loved to do was hold on to his back as he, as he swam and just kind of doing that. And then he dives under the water and I'm like freaked out. Like I'm, I'm going to, you know, I got to let go. I can't, I'm not going to be able to breathe, but I want to stay with my dad. And then I just, I, I was like, I had this insight. Like, maybe I can breathe under here and I take this like tiny, tiny sip of air. Like I'm breathing in through a straw and, I'm, and then air comes in instead of water. I'm like, oh my God, I can, I can breathe. And, and then we uh, kind of like have this, I had this little tour with my dad under the water. And we're just exploring, there's like kelp and it's like super, crazy uh like like an aquarium like really clear and and like little fish everywhere and magical and that goes on for a little while and then and then he like swims faster and faster and like lose him and he swims off and i and, and then i just panic and freak out and and uh and then I, I feel like i really can't breathe and i like woke up in a panic wow. that was a, like an intense intense dream i had a long time ago and i have that's so well hold on <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah slow sorry, down yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah okay. it's a pretty amazing dream uh, yeah well there's so many questions and and it's amazing you remember it from so long ago like it's it's still with you after all this time yeah and i i've had a lot of versions of that like either me at the cove and swimming like with him or you know had a lot of like similar not quite that intense, but similar dreams like that since. So it kind of stayed with me. I like how it's in the water, which is, I think, amazing. And it really symbolizes what you just said, how, you know, the water represents him. Yeah. But I think it's interesting he took you underneath the water and showed you a world you didn't know. And I'm curious, looking back now, do you think your dad's death was like his last big lesson for you? Like to show you something that you didn't know? That's an excellent question. I think, you know, in a way, I do think that that, you know, he was, yeah, he was teaching me a lesson that I could not have, I don't know if I could have gotten in a different, in a different way. So I think, I think, yeah, it was, that's how I've come to look at it. And, you know, not, not to say that it's not sad or, or, you know, that I, you know, would love for him to be around physically and, you know, hang out with him, but 
yeah, I think that was, I think it was like, a, uh, he became, I guess, you know, my, the greatest teacher I could have ever asked for. Wow, it's beautiful. That's so beautiful. I'm, I'm happy that you're, you got there, right? Because a lot of people on their journey, they can't say that, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> but you're at a point where you can look back and say, this is, there's parts of this. You said like, that's, opened you up to something in yourself that you never probably would have got to and it was like one way for for you to find peace as you even said like the attachment to outcomes and stuff like you learn so much that you know there's so many people i see that are just so attached to the outcome you know and, right. and it's amazing how you got there and it was and loss really pulled you there and it's the, it's one of the beauties i think it's like the great white shark you know like death like we are we're afraid of it but you know, it can actually propel us in different ways. Totally, totally with you on that. And I think I'm, I'm sensitive to, you know, folks who have, you know, I just, I think essentially listeners who have just recently lost someone or you know, lost someone to suicide. And was like, you know, what do you, you know, how could that be? But, you know, I think with time and with, I certainly, certainly is, has, like, as you said, become an incredible, incredible gift in, in ways. Yeah. And I think, I think that's why I think one of the challenging things with loss or, is the ability to hold on, hold, you know, both sides of that, like the sadness and, and also holding the, you know, seeing that there were some great lessons that came out of this that I probably couldn't have gotten in a different way. And I, I got ahead of schedule, I guess. Yeah, I think I, I love that saying because you're right, because there are some people that say, oh, like, you know, they'll go right to the pause. But, you know, it's, it's very sad. It's very traumatic. And you said you still have spouts of sadness. But there is this growth yeah. that occurred, you know, in yeah. the midst of it all. And it changed you to be a better person. And, we, and you just can't deny that. And I, the same thing happened for myself. And, and that's why I can see it. And you're just like, I never would have chose this. But man, like, I, I love who I am so much more than when my father was alive. Like, just on who I am, like, mm-hmm. when I look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow, like, I never would have thought, like, his death was, like, his last father teaching for me that he could never do when he was alive because he was suffering so much but through his death he could teach me um, the person that he probably always wanted to be it's wild I, I got chills when you were saying that because I, I I totally feel you on that completely it's that right like maybe my dad I don't know if it was, this was conscious or not but you know my dad you know had this this final teaching that you know he couldn't he couldn't do it on his own I, he was in a place where he wasn't gonna he wasn't i guess ready or whatever to receive them but this was this was his a gift passing on to to me and potentially to other people too yeah so i'm i hear you on that well look at you now look at you like you know try and change the world you're you wrote a book to help like people through their grief and just you you're in general it seemed like a very down-to-earth caring loving person that I'm like, man, like, it's just, it's amazing, you know, like, because a lot of people through loss, they, they sometimes never get there. But like, you've got to a point, I'm really amazed and inspired by who you are as individual. So like, as, as much as like, we talked only about some stuff, I could just hear in like your answers and just in tone of voice and that you, you care deeply about, you know, what you're doing, and you found meaning in yourself and what you're doing in life. And I think that's just super cool. And it's amazing. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy that you were able to come on the podcast and, and share, share your journey a little bit. And I, you know, I you know, tell the listeners, go and read this book because if this guy is who he is on the podcast, I can only imagine what he wrote about in, in the book. Yeah, that means a ton to me. I really appreciate it. And, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to join you all on this podcast. And I think, 
I just want to say also that the, the work you're doing uh, with dreams and, and, and having these kind of conversations around grief and dreams and exploring is so, is so helpful. And I think, you know, different journeys, but parallel sort of parallel uh, journeys. And, and um, yeah, I'm excited, excited to see how this unfolds too. All right. So the, uh, the question, the last question we always like to ask our guests is uh, what dream would you want to have today if you could uh, with your father? Good question. Good question. You want to be, be on land? <laughs> no way. Boy, yeah. It's actually interesting. I, you know, I had I had this sort of you know this I thought of the ocean, which is even where we've been. But it's interesting. You know, I won't get way into the details here. But when I had uh, when I was laid up with a hip injury, I um, I was sort of more drawn. I couldn't go surfing. I couldn't do those things. So I I would often go when I was recovering to this little park near where I lived, and I would just post up and you know write and and uh, I was often visited uh, by hummingbirds and I don't know if do you all have hummingbirds up there yep cool okay <laughs> anyway hummingbirds I, I came to see the hummingbird is like you know the, the land version of my dad kind of my dad has such a you know at times intense heavy life and hummingbirds they're just their vibe is so um, carefree zooming all around and I think if I had to choose a dream i would like to be uh be a hummingbird with my dad and fly around and explore explore um you know the hills the mountains the parks and stuff like that and just zoom around as a hummingbird that's pretty cool i gotta say like most people want to be human form but look at you going outside the box being creative um and coming on land all right <laughs> and that's amazing that's that's so interesting and as hummingbirds can you guys talk or is it like a telepathic kind of thing I think it's mostly you just you just know what the other person's thinking telepathic mm-hmm. pure uh and i think the deal with hummingbirds is just they're having a blast zooming around you know what i mean it's a good time and i think i think that's what we do my dad and i we just zoom around and explore and, and you know it would yeah. be awesome oh, oh yeah it makes perfect sense because you know i can't see you guys you know sitting around chatting it up casually you know you guys are go-getters you want to get out there explore and you know that, that's the beauty of it. You know, you use these na- you know natural settings, these analogies, and there, there's there, it, it's so similar to the concept of like life and death. You know, you're you're navigating the wilderness of the ocean. Well, we're navigating the wilderness of what death is, what life is, yeah. and then you apply those principles to these concepts, to your grief, to your loss. I mean, that that's a beautiful takeaway, I think, for a lot of our listeners and also for us. So definitely yeah. hope you uh, you have that that cool dream. <laughs> uh, you have to let us know if you you start dreaming about hummingbirds. I think it's I, um, we never had anyone actually pick that. We've had some like interesting ones where they go out of space or you know, they do some interesting things. But uh, being a, being a different species, I think that's pretty cool. So uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks for being the first one to uh, to go that way. <laughs> Yeah, you got, got to mix it up. Got to mix it up, you know. Come in with a curveball, not going ocean. <laughs> Interspecies yeah. equality, I like it. That's right. Yeah, hummingbird or great white shark, they're all awesome <laughs> in their own way. That's funny. All right, so do you have uh, any last words to say to the audience? And also, where can they uh, find your stuff, your book? And I'm guessing you have some other uh, social media sites. Where can they find you? Mm. Well, in terms of just, in terms of, 
reach out to the audience, you know, I would say um, I'm imagining most people listening are on some sort of, you know, grief journey and to uh, hang in there, you know, face this stuff, you know, as I, as I mentioned, you know, suppressing, as we talked about, suppressing does not work. So, you know, facing it, feeling it, dealing, you know, feeling the emotions that are coming up and being just nice, kind to yourself in the process is so important. And so I would say just be, be good to yourselves and, if you ever want to connect, reach out. I'll, uh, I'm available, so I've got to. I'll let y'all know my, uh, you know, various pages. But um, website is sebastiansloven.com. My personal site has uh, more information on the book, and I also have a website called Nature Unplugged, which is a little bit more about the business that I run with my wife. Natureunplugged.com, and the book Ashes in the Ocean is available on Amazon and all other all the other uh, book platforms. So it's Ashes in the Ocean by Sebastian Sloven. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure. I know we didn't get to talk about your uh, thing you're doing with your wife, Nature Unplugged, but I got a feeling we'll be talking to you again sometime soon. Yeah, we'll go. We'll go round two. I'll I'll keep you posted on the hummingbird situation and uh, we'll take it from there. But thank you both so much for having me. It's been been really fun and, and a pleasure to be on. Yeah, well, well, again, like, thanks for coming on. It takes a lot of courage for people to tell their stories, especially lost stories. So we always appreciate it. And again, you're you're expanding this uh, topic for everybody. You know, that that's the whole goal is to, you know, give back to the community and the communities and, and to just talk about this thing, normalize it. So thank you for that. Um, so please, everybody else, please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group. You can check, check us out on Instagram and Twitter um, at Grief Dreams. And you can find this podcast, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify now, and lots of other places. And again, if you're interested in being a guest on our podcast, please email us your story and what you would like to share at griefdreamspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, so we like to end our podcast uh, with love and gratitude from us to you. Introduce myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.